0: Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask Jesus to bless us with the Holy Spirit as we worship him in the hearing of God's word. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, we just thank you that we can be still before the king of the universe. God, thank you so much you lift our burdens from us. And thank you that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And we have our Savior who right now is interceding for us. Jesus, would you please visit us this morning and bless us with your presence. Thank you, God, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The name of the sermon today is called Pants on Fire. Pants on Fire. You know, when I... I get to do some traveling. Oftentimes, I get to visit different countries, and I start chuckling when I take a walk through the city. And the reason why is because I get to see some of the laws of those countries. Being born and raised in America, you're so used to American law, American. Uh, legal facets of the justice system, that when you go to another country, oftentimes their understanding of justice is quite different than your understanding of justice. Anybody ever been been to Singapore? Okay. Now, I've been to Singapore, and one of the interesting things about Singapore is there are harsh penalties if you spit your gum out on the street, which would include several times you are being caned. Do you know what a caning is? That is when you are strapped to two chains and they take a cane, a sugar cane, and whip your back multiple times. That city is fairly clean. You can imagine why. But I was looking online and I found unusual laws in different countries. This is one unusual law in Australia and it says this. Although children are not allowed to legally buy cigarettes, they can legally smoke still. In Victoria, it is illegal to wear hot pink pants after 12 noon on a Sunday. In Bermuda, women may not wear skirts shorter than 8 inches above the knee. In Bolivia, a woman may legally be a prostitute, however, she cannot solicit customers on the street or any public place. In Brazil, Sorcoba... Passionate kissing in public is illegal. Canada, any debt higher than 25 cents cannot be paid in pennies. In Montreal, it is illegal to swear in French. There is no such bar to swearing in English. In China, in order to go to college, you must be intelligent. That is actually a law. Denmark, it is illegal to start a car if there is anyone under it. Restaurants may not charge for water unless it comes with ice and lemon. In Finland, Finnish police do not issue tickets for illegal parking. They just let down the person's tires. In France, it is illegal to call a pig Napoleon. In France, it is illegal to sell dolls with alien faces. They must have human faces. And it is illegal to land a flying saucer in a vineyard. In Germany, a pillow can be considered a passive weapon. In the United Kingdom, it is illegal for members of the parliament to enter the House of Commons in full armor. It is illegal to drive a car without first sitting in the front seat. In New Guinea, it is illegal to call a baby Monica. In India, children as young as 15 can be jailed for cheating on exams. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) In Iran, it is forbidden to eat snakes on Sunday. In Israel, it is illegal to pick one's nose on the Sabbath. I wonder how many people would be jailed here. In Japan, it's considered, in certain areas, it's illegal to wear purple unless you are in mourning. And in Paraguay, dueling is legal, providing both combatants are blood donors. (laughs) Saudi Arabia, a woman can divorce her husband if he does not keep her supplied with coffee. (laughs) Singapore, chewing gum on public transport is a crime punishable by a fine or a prison sentence. In Sweden, it is illegal to train a SEAL to balance a ball on its nose. And did you know in New York, it is illegal, it is considered punishable by death to jump off a high-rise building? (laughs) I double-checked the sources, too. And I thought, why in the world would it, why would somebody potentially get the death sentence if they jumped off the building? And the reasoning was because if they were like a parachuter or some kind of base jumper, whatever it is, and they land on somebody and kill them, then that would be considered a crime because in New York, there is a lot of skyscrapers and there are a lot of daredevils that tend to go there. But it's unusual when you think about laws and justice how in certain countries, certain areas of the world, what is considered justice for us may not be justice for them. And what is justice for them is not considered justice for us. And in a world right now where there is a lot of understanding and a lot of, I should say, uh, discovery on what is considered justice, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to examine biblical justice. Can you say amen to that? And I appreciate the Sabbath School Quarterly. There's so much that we need to learn, especially about communication. Amen? Amen? amen. Some of you are like, amen, amen right? Ladies and gentlemen, God is trying to lead us closer and closer to Him, and He wants us to become more and more like Him. Very interesting story Jesus gives, a parable, where He is describing A parable about justice. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. This is an unusual parable Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18. And remember we learned what is the purpose of a parable? It is to reveal truth to those who are seeking and to conceal truth from those who are seeking to accusing. Seeking of accusing Jesus. But we're going to Luke chapter 18 and we're going to understand more about this parable. Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, very unusual parable Jesus gives. Are we all there? Amen. Amen. All right, let's begin. Then he spoke a parable to them that man always ought to what? Pray and not lose what? Heart. Heart. Now, the reason why this parable is so unique is because right in the previous chapter, Jesus is talking about end-time events. All of chapter 17 is about end-time events and what's going to happen to the world. And here Jesus inserts this parable because he wants his people to understand that they need to grasp this parable by experience if they want to make it through the times. In fact, look at the very end of the parable in verse... In verse 18, or verse 8. Watch what Jesus says right here, and you can pick up really quickly. It's an end-time parable. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find what? Faith on what? Earth. Here we can see that this parable is couched in end-time language. God inserts this parable. He inspired the gospel writers to record what he had said in those sermons because it was a message that was meant for us during these times. In a world that's falling apart, ladies and gentlemen, this parable is extremely important for us to understand. Go to chapter 18, verse 1 one more time. Then he spoke a what? A parable to them that men always ought to what? Pray and not lose what? Okay, what two things is this parable about? It's not just about prayer, it's about what? How we what? What about prayer? How we always ought to pray. And what's the second thing? Not lose heart. It's very interesting. If you go into the King James Version, it says, and that you would faint not. I did a little bit of word study. I found out something very interesting about the word faint. It actually has to do with collapsing. Like someone who has just run out of energy. Someone who's been worn out. And so what Jesus is saying about this parable, he's saying, look, I'm giving this parable because I want you to know that you always need to pray and you would not collapse during these times. Does that make sense? Yes or no? And so Jesus gives this very special parable for you and for me. And by experience, we need to grasp what this parable is all about. And what does it have to do with justice? Let's continue. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to what? Pray and not lose what? heart. saying, there was in a certain city a what? A judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, get justice for me from my who? Adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard who? Man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will what? her, Lest by her continual coming, she what? It's very interesting. The Andrew Study Bible points out this part. The reason why he's answering the request of this persistent widow is because he's afraid that she would what? To him. Wear him out. The Greek actually says, in, in Greek language, give him a black eye. Now, I'm sure this, justice, this judge wasn't worried about this woman just knocking him out, but this had to do with his reputation. And he realized that he needed to help this woman out, not because he cared for her, not because he regarded God or man, but simply out of selfish motives. And so he grants the woman her request. Let's continue. Verse 6, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And by the way, what is she asking for? She's asking for justice from who? Who is she asking justice? Who is she she trying to get justice for? For herself. But who is she asking? I'm trying to say it right. Who is she asking to get her that justice? What can you tell me about the judge? What adjective is used to describe him? Notice this. She's asking justice from who? An unjust judge. Out of all the judges she could have gone to. She's getting justice from a man who the Bible says was unjust. Quite an unusual situation. Yet this unjust judge, simply because he doesn't want to get worn out, he says, all right, I'll give you what you want. And then he says something very interesting. Look what he says. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears what? Long with them. I tell you, he will avenge them what? Speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find what? Faith on earth. I want you to pay attention because there's something unique about this parable. It almost sounds like Jesus is just describing something that took place on a, a Judge Judy case. This widow needs some help. We don't know what's happened to her husband. Perhaps it was the adversary that did that. That took her husband out. It might have been that she lost all her her fortune and she, being a widow, did not have rights in that society to get the money that was due to her. So she decides to take it up with the court cases. She goes to this judge and this unjust judge has a reputation. He doesn't care about God nor does he care about men. And she realizes the only way for her to get justice from this enemy, from this adversary, is that she's going to have to persist with this judge. She has nothing left. So she goes to him and she says, please get me justice for my adversary. And he's like, well, I'm not sure. I'll think about your case. I'll put it back in the file. And she says, no, please get me justice for my adversary. And he's like, well, we'll think about it. And then she keeps persisting over and over again, keeps coming back day after day, and she's demanding justice from her adversary. Quite an unusual parable. Yet when you take a good look at this parable, ladies and gentlemen, God is not comparing himself with this unjust judge. Rather, this parable is a parable of contrast. Oftentimes, Jesus would contrast things to bring out something in an even greater light. And here he uses a situation where this unjust judge, because of selfish motives, answers the prayer of this persistent widow. And he eventually brings out the point that God isn't just. That God isn't like this unjust judge. God really cares about people and he will answer the prayer of this woman. God will answer the prayer of this woman. Quite an unusual parable. If you think about all the ways that Jesus probably could have worded this parable to describe not just to continue praying and not lose heart, it's like why in the world would he use a court case? Quite interesting. But when you begin to examine certain aspects of this parable, all of a sudden you begin to realize, wait a minute, the story is much bigger than we really think. Here this woman apparently is coming to this man for help. And her prayer is, give me justice from my who? Adversary. Did you know in the Bible we have one main antagonist? Do you know what his name is? His name is Lucifer. Even the Bible says in 1 Peter that he is our adversary, your adversary, the who? The devil walks around like a roaring lion. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the devil's name once was? Lucifer. When was he called Lucifer? When Jesus is describing Lucifer, what does he call him in the Gospels? Does he ever call him Lucifer? He's talking about Lucifer, but what does he call him in the New Testament? He calls him the adversary, he calls him Satan, what else does he call him? The dragon, son of perdition, he's called the the accuser of the brethren, he's called the devil. He even says, he he told the Pharisees, you're like the you're like your father the who, the devil. He did not stand in the truth. You know what's very interesting, and that is this. Is that Lucifer's name in Hebrew meant light bringer. Not light bearer, it means actually light bringer. Translators will put light bearer. A light bringer is somebody who brings what? Light. I appreciate that illustration by Brian Snarr. But what's very interesting is that in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't refer to Lucifer as Lucifer. He calls him the devil. Now, what's very interesting about the devil, the word devil, I was looking at this, doing a study about this all day yesterday. In Greek, it's comprised of two words, dios and blos. And what it means is one who throws at. One who's throwing something. Now, I want you to think about this. Lucifer, the light, what? What? Bringer. Now, when Jesus is referring to him, what is he called? The one who is throwing. You know, God calls people by their name, and oftentimes their name is who they are. Who they are is based upon what they do. Lucifer used to have a high and holy position in heaven where he used to bring light to the world, God's great order. The Bible says he walked up and down the mountain of God. He stood in the great presence of God, closer than any other being, more like God. The Bible says he was full of wisdom. The seal of perfection was upon him. God could not do any more greater than the creation of Lucifer. He was somebody who was created more like God than any other being, and because of his rebellion, his character changed over and over again till what he was identified as was the one who was not bringing light, but the one who was throwing at. The word throwing oftentimes applied to spearing. 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 Greek translators would just use the word slanderer. Slanderer. One who used to bring light now became the slanderer. Jesus identifies this being primarily by the word devil. Slanderer. Slanderer. The one who is slandering God's character and slandering God's people. Ladies and gentlemen, what this parable is about, it is a parable about Satan's accusations against you. Satan is accusing you before this entire universe, claiming the right to destroy you because you are a sinner. Because you're somebody who has broken laws consistently. He claims the right to destroy you, to obliterate you. In fact, when God went to go resurrect Moses, you know who was there to oppose him? Satan was there saying, "Uh uh-uh, he belongs to me. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is after you. And he is accusing you before the entire universe. He is bringing reproach upon God's name because of your sins, because of my sins. He is the great adversary. And as we get closer and closer to the end of time, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to intensify when God's people are going to be put more and more on the stand. Right now, we may seem like a people who are hidden just among other people, but situations will one day change where we will be brought to before prominence and there we will be exposed before the entire universe. <laughs> And there we will see a clear difference between light and darkness. And Satan and his agencies will bring about such a way where you will experience injustice like never before. If there ever was a time we need to understand that parable, it's now. Whose cute little kids are these? Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand something in this parable. And that is this, we have an adversary. And he is after each and every one of you. And his greatest desire is to see that you never make it to heaven. Oftentimes we live our lives as if there is not an antagonist. I believe in the element of faith, amen? But I also am realistic about the situations that we are living in. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a great controversy surrounding us and the enemy of souls is after you. And I say this all the time during my prayer meetings, and that is this, if you think you're smarter than the devil, you've been outsmarted by the devil. Amen? The second you think you're smarter than this being, you've already been outsmarted by him. And he is, his purpose is to see that you never make it to heaven. And here this parable, Jesus couches this parable for god 's people at the end of time, because there is coming moments and experiences where we will be tried like never before, and God wants us to remember the persistent widow 's prayer, and that was she would not cease crying out day or night until justice was brought to her from the adversary. The devil is after you. The devil is after your kids. I never forgot when I first became a Seventh-day Amish Christian, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, there there really is a bad guy? (laughs) Yes, there is. And his goal is to see that you never grow, that you never make it. In fact, what is so interesting about Lucifer and his, his, his uh, uh, you could say his actions and his works upon this planet, that his works are such, in a way, designed to communicate the worst kinds of lies to his people, to God's people. I love what Ellen White says right here. She says this, Satan endeavors to affright their souls, talking about God's people, with the thought that their case is what? Hopeless. What is this in regards to? It is in regards to that you can never change. That you can never grow into the image of God. That your case is hopeless. I don't know about you, but I have experienced that multiple times in my life where I reached a point where I thought to myself, maybe I'm just that person God can't change. You ever thought that before? When you find yourself constantly backsliding... When you find yourself reaching the point where you're just like, God, I just don't have spiritual energy anymore. And Satan comes to you and he says, it's because you're hopeless. You're different. Your case is an unusual case. God actually can't help you in this time. I checked out the word affright. The word affright simply means to make afraid. Pretty simple, right? Watch what she says right here. Satan endeavors to affright their souls with the thought that their case is what? What? Hopeless that the stain of their defilement can never be washed away. He hopes so to destroy their faith that they will yield fully to his what? Temptations and turn their allegiance from who? God. Satan is bringing this accusation over and over again to you. And by the way, Satan doesn't need to lie always. When he's talking about your sins, huh? He can tell the truth. He can tell you the truth. But the truth doesn't always sound nice, does it? And here he is. He is standing before God's people seeking to accuse them before this universe. He wants to make sure that you know that you are a guilty, filthy sinner. We have an adversary who is against each and every one of us to make sure that none of us make it to that heavenly place. And he will do whatever he can through his deceptions, through our own pride, through all the failures of the past. He will do whatever it can to make sure that we are robbed of that beautiful place that is waiting for us. That is Satan's desire. It is not survivalism for him. He is purely psychotic at this moment with his angels. The Bible says he knows he has a short time. Everybody take your Bible and we're going to actually see this played out and go to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah in the New Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. Are we all there? Amen. Then he showed me who? Joshua the who? High priest. This was during the time of Zechariah the prophet. Joshua was the high priest. He was the one who stood as the top minister of that area. His job was to take the sins of Israel and present it before God in the sanctuary. So you can imagine someone who had a position like that, ladies and gentlemen, was not an easy position. And by the way, who's the high priest here? Jesus. Amen. Remember we talked about this? Don't ever say a no, Kanda. Right? You only have one high priest, and what's his name? Jesus. Jesus. Let's continue. Then he showed me J- Joshua the high priest standing before the who? Before the who? Don't forget that phrase, angel of the who? So where is Joshua standing? Before who? The angel of the Lord. Let's continue. And Satan standing at his what? Right hand to what? Opposing. him. Does anybody have footnotes? What is the word Satan, by the way? It should say in your footnotes. Accuser? Deceiver? Anybody else? In Hebrew, it's actually the word adversary. Who is standing at the right hand to accuse Joshua? Satan. This is very interesting because now you're going to see something powerful right here. Satan is standing at the who? Right hand of God. And who is he opposing? Joshua the high priest, notice this. He's intentionally attacking him. He is accusing him before this world. He is calling out his sins and he is saying, this man is not fit to minister. This person does not deserve a place here. He should not be in that position. He is the accuser of the brethren. The devil takes the long list of Joshua's sin and he says, look what he did here. Look what he did here. Look what he did here over and over again. And can you imagine what Joshua, the high priest, must be feeling at that moment? And I love what God says next. Let's continue. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord what? Now let me ask you a question. What did Joshua say? He didn't say anything. Can you imagine him just shaking? And the Lord turns to the devil and says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Let's continue. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, what? Rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from fire? Now watch verse 3. And Joshua was clothed with what? Filthy garments and was standing before the who? Notice this. The Bible starts off by stating, look, here he is. The devil is saying, I deserve the right to destroy him. He is a sinner. He is filthy. He is guilty of his transgressions. And the Bible points out that the angel of the Lord was standing before him. The devil takes off and Joshua realizes he's standing in what kind of clothes? They're filthy clothes. But then the Bible points out what other fact? Who is still right by his side? The angel of the Lord. Let's continue. Then he stood, he he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the what? Filthy garments from him. And he said, see, I have removed your what? Iniquity from you. I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, I love how Zachariah jumps in. He's like, put a clean turban on his head, right? So they put a clean turban on his head. If there were some Sikhs in here, they'd be like, amen, amen, all right. So they put a clean turban on his head. Now watch this. They put on the clothes on him and the who? Angel of the Lord, what? Who is by Joshua's side every phase? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a powerful lesson for us to understand and that is this. During the process of sanctification, Jesus does not leave our side. Can you say amen to that? Even when Satan is right there, ready to destroy us, the angel of the Lord is standing by. And even when Joshua is realizing the filthiness of his garments, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord is still by. And then, even at that moment, when the sanctification is doing its work, what's happening? The angel of the Lord is still by his side. Ladies and gentlemen sanctification is a work of a lifetime can you say amen to that and you have somebody who's interceding for you constantly and as long as you keep jesus in the proximity you cannot be lost can you say amen to that and as you're in that process you may be somebody here today though ladies and gentlemen who hasn't overcome you may be somebody who's not even struggling, but you're beginning to recognize, wait a minute, I am messed up. Guess what? The fact that you are here right now, and I believe with my whole heart, the fact you are here right now is because there is somebody who's interceding for you. You may be somebody who's just broken God's laws over and over again, and you realize it, but you have no spiritual energy, and Satan is saying, he's mine. The fact you are here today is because God is still ministering for you. And now you may be somebody who's recognizing, God, I am messed up. I'm trying to change. I keep failing, but I recognize my sins. Guess what? The angel of the Lord is still right by your side. And you may be in the phase where you are starting to overcome those things in your life. Guess what? Jesus is still there too. Can you say amen to that? During the entire process of sanctification, from the very beginning to the end, God does not leave our side. And as long as we keep him in that proximity, we cannot be lost. And God will do the work that he started. As I was reading this, I was blown away with the idea and I was studying out Christ's object lessons. Ellen White brings this point out over and over and over again that the adversary is the enemy of souls and he is constantly seeking the right to destroy you because of your sins. That the prayers of this woman represent the prayers to God that he would continually, I love these words, intercede for us. The word justice in in that parable where the woman is praying, Lord, give me justice, the word actually is vindicate, to make innocent. So what this woman is pleading for is essentially innocence in the case. Do you guys love God's grace? Don't you praise God that his grace is what we deserve and not what we need? Amen? Grace is what we deserve, amen? It's not what we need, it's what we deserve. God gives us what we deserve. Can he say amen to that? I thought I heard a couple of amens. Oh, come on, you guys. Isn't grace what we deserve? If God gave us what we deserve, what would happen to each and every one of us? You would disappear, and so would I. We wouldn't be here anymore, right? God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. And ladies and gentlemen, what God is exercising on behalf of Joshua is grace. Grace. His heavenly intercession is an intercession of grace. He is essentially giving Joshua not what he deserves, but what Joshua needs, and what Joshua needs more than ever before is intercession. And this woman in that parable is somebody who in a time of injustice was praying against the enemy of souls. And ladies and gentlemen, we cannot forget that we are in a great controversy, and we need to be praying against Satan's power. We're really good at praying against other people. (laughs) And we've lost sight of the real antagonist behind the problems. The real terrorist in this world. We need to pray against his power in our lives. Because as long as he has property in our life, ladies and gentlemen, he has power. And we need to let Jesus drive him out of us. Can you say amen to that? And just like Joshua who was in this process of sanctification, God drove Satan away from that place and God will drive Satan away from your heart as long as you are pleading for him to do that work. Can you say amen to that? This woman was crying out day and night for intercession. And more than ever before, we need to be praying against Satan's power in our own life. Before we can be delivered out there, we need to be delivered from within. This is the greatest sin in here. It's not what's out there, it's in here. And God is calling me to pray and asking him to continue the intercession that he is doing for me. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have somebody who you can call to really pray for you? Do you have somebody like that? Do you have somebody in your life where you're just like, oh, God answers this woman's prayer. I don't know what it is, but he just answers this woman's prayer. Do you have somebody like that? Do you know somebody like that? I know a few people like that. It's like, whenever that person prays, God answers. It's like, you never want to get on the wrong side of that person, right? I have somebody like that, somebody in my life. She's like a Christian mother to me. And when this woman prays, it's like God answers her prayers. I'm just like, Lord, why can't I have the same experience? He's teaching me, though. But imagine asking Jesus to pray for you. Do you know what intercession is? It's asking Jesus to pray for you. Now, would you want the prayers of Jesus? How many people would want the prayers of Jesus? I do. Ladies and gentlemen, what this woman was asking was for intercession. And what God's people need to be praying for is the prayers of Jesus that they would be answered in our lives. When I feel like I just can't pray anymore, I say, Lord, I need you to pray for me. I have no spiritual energy left in here. I can't keep getting up and keep doing the same things. And that is where intercession comes into play. You know, I was looking again over and over again at all the the beautiful prayers and promises that God was giving. I was looking at the story of Luke chapter 22 where Jesus says to Simon, he says, indeed, Satan has what? Asked for you. Satan was claiming the right to destroy Peter because he was unsanctified. But he may sift you as we, putting your hands and just sifting you out. But look what he says. I have prayed for you that what? Your faith should not what? Fail. Do you know when Peter was in the boat the first time? And he gets in, you know, they, they cry out for help. Jesus says to him, you have no faith. The second time you're there in the boat, you know what? Jesus tells Peter when he walks out, you have little faith. The third time Peter talks about his faith is right here. And he says, Peter, I'm praying for you that you don't have unfailing faith. When you read the epistles of Peter, you know what Peter says? He's praying that you may have precious faith. Peter went from no faith to little faith to unfailing faith to precious faith. To precious faith. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a God in heaven. If we cry out to him, he will intercede for us when we have no more strength. Can you say amen to that? No more strength. I love this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself makes what? Intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. uttered. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to know who the greatest prayer warrior in our church is? The Holy Spirit. Would you like the Holy Spirit to pray for you? When that guy prays, guess what? It's powerful. Even his words, the Bible say, can't even be uttered. But he'll pray for you if you want him to. I need those prayers. Don't you need those prayers? When there's no more spiritual strength, I need God to pray for me. I need his intercession. I love what the Bible says here in Romans 8, verse 31. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who what? Justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore has also risen, risen. Who is even at the right hand of Who? By the way, who tried to be at the right hand of God earlier? Satan. And what was he doing? Accusing. Jesus kicks him out. He says, no more accusing here. Amen? Who makes intercession for us. Can you say amen to that? I love what Hebrews 7 verse 25 says. This is my favorite verse. Therefore, he also is able to save to the what? uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to what make intercession for them ladies and gentlemen if you need a prayer warrior we have a prayer warrior in heaven his name is Jesus and he will save to the uttermost he will reach into the depths of darkness and pull you out from the sins you cannot overcome if you come to him can you say amen to that he will save to the uttermost those who come to him. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an interceder. We have a prayer warrior who's even right there in the proximity of God. And when we're praying for vindication like this woman was, what we are praying for is for Jesus to do what we can't do. To overcome those areas that we can't overcome. To restore our faith when it feels like, God, I don't know what else to do at this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to cry out to him for intercession. To do the work we can't do. Is there a particular area in your life that you're struggling with? Perhaps it's just keeping the Sabbath. Guess what? Jesus can help you do it. Perhaps it's just reading your Bible every morning. Jesus can help you do it. Perhaps even just talking to God, guess what? There is somebody who is willing to talk to God on your behalf already. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,